the ways we communicate, share data, and use technology to act on the insights that data brings are all changing, and it's all leading to the cloud. Each week on In the Cloud by MarketScale, two new industry experts will engage in a fireside chat and bring their extensive experience in software, IT, and mobile solutions straight to you, offering a glimpse into the future of cloud connectivity and beyond. On our inaugural episode, guests Carl Hillier and Alan Proithis tackle how IoT and AI solutions are supporting projects at scale and what that means in terms of accessibility of said solutions, their impact, and future improvements to the tech. All right, question number one. What separates what a Fortune 500 company needs out of their IoT and AI solutions versus what a small to mid-tier operation needs? Alan, we'll start with you. That's a really broad question, but it's a it's an interesting one, and we've actually gotten to see the real life answer to that question this year with what's going on with COVID. Um, I, I think the way I look at IoT, it's really you know providing the data, which is the field of digital transformation. And if you look at the complexity of the legacy systems in a larger company, um, and having spent seven years at HP, I can especially appreciate how complex and intricate those systems can be, mostly because they've been around for a long time. They serve a lot of different verticals and geographies, and it's by nature a complex business. Uh, so when you implement an IoT solution, you know that's one of the big problems with scale is that even when you get the physical stuff working in the field, it takes a lot of work to get the data integrated with everything you already have and then get the insights that you really need to justify the return on the investment. In a smaller company, they certainly can benefit from the technology in a lot of ways, but it's it's typically a little less heavy on the backend legacy integration. And it's probably a little more emphasis on solving that really hard point solution they're trying to address, whether it's remote monitoring or, or something that that, that's a more of a tactical incremental step perhaps in changing their business. So, so I'd say it's, it's probably a little more holistic and complex on the large company side, just as important, but probably slightly more tactically oriented on the small to mid-sized company. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Carl, anything that you can add to this talking point? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, to, to Alan's point, I think what obviously larger organizations have a luxury in terms of the, the resources they have available uh, and can look at, you know, IoT and AI and, and other technologies in a far more strategic way. Smaller, me medium sized companies very often don't want to go and necessarily build from the ground up. They're, they're looking for specific solutions. Uh, and certainly, you know, I've been seeing that in, in the work that I've been doing where you're seeing vendors incorporating those technologies into solutions that are targeting the specific needs of, of companies in it within a vertical sector. Uh, and, and that makes you know, the AI and IoT a lot more accessible. How is this influencing how tech developers improve their IoT and AI solutions? Well, I think I think one of the things, particularly with with small organisations, but I think it's 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 not so much how they differ. I think how a lot of the a lot of the requirements are very much the same. I mean, one of the things that people have now you know become accustomed to is is time to market, uh, and I think one of the challenges that all organisations wrestle with is you know I don't want to spend nine months on a project uh, without seeing some tangible business benefit, and whether you're small or large, I think those those pressures are still very much the same. 
I think obviously in the case of a smaller organization who is looking to buy not necessarily an off-the-shelf solution because you know they obviously want to differentiate themselves from their competition, but I think they want to pick solutions that are going to obviously provide them tangible business benefit. You know, at a conference a number of years ago, I made the statement that no 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 company got better just by buying a bucket load of AI. Um, it's really how you apply that. And that's also true from an IoT perspective. It's, it's not enough to generate the, the reams of data that the IoT can. It's being set up in a, as an organization to then take advantage of that, derive real business insight. Yeah, it also is too. I think sometimes the, the larger the company, you start to have more of a push-pull between sort of the IT organization and the actual P&L ownership. And I think in a small to mid-size you have a better chance of the P&L owners driving it. They tend to have um, a lot more practical, hey, let's get something going and learn from it approach versus the perfectly architected thing, which you do want in the long term to be able to scale it and integrate it and all those things we like. But frankly, you know, this technology is maturing very quickly and understanding how it's going to be best used with your existing business sometimes only happens with at least some level of experimentation. So it's nice to be able to take that thing. I mean, to Carl's point, you're not just going to grab it off the shelf and use it as is, but for some components, um, for instance, if you're trying to do a cellular motor from scratch, you may have an 18 month build and a, a certification period to get that thing out in the market. Whereas if you can buy at least the hardware part, maybe start with some pre-existing applications and then simply modify them as you learn and get smarter, um, it's a way you can, and I'm a big fan of Lean Startup, which is basically agile for business, and and making those decision and those learning cycles shorter is part of these any project, frankly, with technology. I think is an important uh, determinant of how successful that project's going to be. How are major transportation and aerospace companies like Boeing, for example, taking advantage of these integrated technologies for their workflows? Who do you want to answer that? Uh, hopefully you, Carl. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly have a go. I mean, I, th I think organizations, you know, in the transportation industry, uh, and if you look at um, things, companies like Boeing, for example, I've had some experience working with Boeing a number of years ago. And there's obviously a whole bunch of things, and there you're dealing with these enormous projects, uh, you know, uh, developing aircraft and, uh, and other various systems. I mean, Alan can probably talk to better than I in terms of how a lot of these uh, organizations like Boeing utilize IoT within aircraft. I mean, the aircraft themselves are incredible. Uh, pieces of engineering, and the, and you know, there's so many different components, all of which are actually connected uh, and provide valuable data back. Um, it's important to recognize, though, that you know, just because you have IoT doesn't always make things better. And if you, you only have to look at uh, some fairly noteworthy um, incidents involving aircraft, which were actually tied back to uh, IoT orientated sensors that didn't behave the way they were supposed to or there was an unforeseen consequence of um, the actions that they performed. Uh, I mean, if you look at it from a business process standpoint, I mean, just the, you know, an engineering change order in an aircraft design, uh, there's a whole process around that. And, and obviously, 
Um, things like business process management or now becoming intelligent automation uh, are extremely important in optimizing those processes and making them work as fast as possible, but still making sure that you know the rules are followed. If you look at it in, in the transportation industry, particularly things like you know shipping, supply chain, um, that's another area that I've had a fair bit of experience working with. And, and there, AI is used for um, what we call cognitive capture, the ability to take various documents and whether it's you know snapping a picture with a camera or a scanner of some sort and being able to intelligently pull out information and feed that back to a central hub so that you can provide much better trans, uh, transparency to the process uh, and be able to track packages and do all the various logistics that you know the way that we're able to get something from one place to another extremely quickly on time and at no time do we not know where it is a lot of that is in large part um, due to things like cognitive capture and the under, underlying AI technology that powers it. Yeah, I look at it, I think it's all very, uh, very valid comment. And, and I look at sort of the transportation business as sort of like three different views of, of IoT. So, and, and it's funny when we think back to when IoT was really starting to take off, you know, GE actually was promoting the whole concept of thrust as a service where you're not buying an engine, you're paying for the amount of thrust you need during a flight. Um, you know, what a what a great uh, concept to help us visualize the possibilities. But, you know, having worked with some of these big aircraft manufacturers, when you look at the logistical system that even create an aircraft or create any large complex transportation equipment, um, it, it's an incredibly long supply chain and complex. And even just coordinating where things are in the timing of the arrivals, because you only have so much space, of course, when you're staging all this, and then even finding that stuff when you're constructing these things, it's a rather complex process. So IoT is a huge help in just sort of instrumenting, instrumenting all these different pieces that come together. Once you have it together, then there's, the, of course, the operation side of an airplane or other equipment and monitoring the state of everything. And especially we see how important that is now with COVID and, and, and that the statistics about airplane cabin air quality are actually better than the average public because of the filters and the air replacement. And then finally, you have all the things that go on the plane and the standard units they use to actually load cargo and other things. And uh, just coordinating that whole process, um, even when things arrive, there and I have to throw in. I actually worked on a project, actually instrumenting every airport, every major airport uh, in the U.S. So when uh, uh, Louis Vuitton luggage uh, landed in the U.S., uh, the customer actually knew where the luggage was as well, or willing to pay for that service. So depending on your perspective, there's there's so many different ways to uh, to attack that whole industry. In your opinions, what will have the most influence over making IoT solutions at scale more affordable? Well, I, I think um, in terms of the, the manufacturing, Alan's probably better place to comment on a lot of that. But I think in terms of you know uh, the adoption of IoT technology, you know we're way down that that road already. Uh, and I think it, you know it's becoming increasingly more accessible. People are, are, are becoming much more adept at leveraging those technologies. Uh, and um, you know there was a a great book uh, written a number of years ago called Enchanted Objects, which talks about how you know relatively mundane objects can be used to generate data. I think that the important thing here is to is to make sure that all of the data that's being generated is then able to be accessible, uh, and the and the business value that it provides is is you know the ultimate end game. 
Uh, and I think the, the key thing is from a, from a technology standpoint, obviously make the IoT components accessible, but at the same time, um, you've got to obviously do something valuable with the information that, you, that they generate. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and think about if think about if the mobile smartphone business worked the way the IoT business does today, and you walked into any major telco and said, "Hey, I need a hundred thousand phones for my business," and they said, "That's fantastic. I want you to tell me what chip you want in it, what antennas you want in it, what connectivity you want in it, what firmware, uh, what uh, you know case you want on it, and uh, come back in uh, you know a year or two, and we'll have the first couple for you to try." You know, how many smartphones would you sell? And that is what happens in the IoT business today. So the more we make the technology less of a concern, the more we stop talking about the tech because those problems are sort of solved as plumbing. It's sort of like when you go to buy a house, you don't say, and uh, what kind of tubing? Is that copper? Is that PVC used in the plumbing? You know, that's, that's really what we have to talk about with many IoT deployments versus the business benefit of those deployments. And so... So I think we're making huge progress. You're starting to see scale in a, in a number of different industries. But the more we can mature the technology to the point where we don't have to talk about it and you can focus on the business problems we're trying to solve, the faster scale will, will be achieved. Yeah, and I think, I think to Alan's point, I mean, it, it's, it's also getting to the point where IoT isn't a little box that you bolt onto something, but it's mm -hmm. actually built into the systems themselves. Uh, and, and that's obviously, you know, it's not a question of, you know, to Alan's point, choosing what kind of box do you want the underlying mechanism, you know, infrastructure. It's saying, well, you know, this has it built in. Uh, go use it. Uh, and I think that that obviously drives, you know, more and more adoption. And where it doesn't become something that's even an optional extra, you know, the, the way, you know, people start leveraging things is when it becomes a standard part of the equipment. It's just a, it's, it's part of the underlying infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, think about how many hundreds of millions of revenue are generated a year. They're generated just by doing protocol conversions in manufacturing environments. Because from decades of equipment deployment, there are an almost infinite amount of just uh, manufacturing protocol to be able to communicate. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, C-3PO from Star Wars, you know, a communications droid. Well, that is the, that is the protocol business in the manufacturing segment today. How have technologies to improve enterprise business operations adapted to some of the remote workflows that have been made normal by COVID? Sure. I mean, I think I think if you look at something like AI, for example, one of the biggest challenges for a lot of organizations has been the fact that people are obviously far more dispersed. They're not actually physically in the building anymore, but they still need to retain being productive. Uh, and one of the challenges, particularly in, in industries that are heavily driven by documents, is how do I get that information uh, to people because they can't physically uh, have the document. So if you look at something like Capture, which makes extensive use of AI, is understanding, first of all, any document that comes in, being able to present that as a digital representation on someone's screen, or ideally, taking the business information from that document and presenting that in a structured form uh, can dramatically alter how productive people can be. If you look at something very simple like accounts payable, um, accounts payable is probably in terms of cognitive capture, the most po popular use case by far. And it's still true today that the vast majority of invoices are delivered in what I would call unstructured form. That doesn't mean paper, but it could be a PDF that I get, which is a, effectively a, a file format with just an image in it. 
uh, as opposed to using structured data interchange through something like EDI. Um, so the ability to process that uh, invoice, the cost to an organization can be very significant. It can cost upwards of $20, $30 to pay a single invoice. Uh, and there are organizations that you know I've worked with in the past that have seen that shrink and drive that down so that they can actually approve an invoice in you know less than 48 hours, in some cases considerably less, and to actually do it for less than a dollar. And that obviously has a significant improvement as well. Yeah, there's so many use cases, and I think those are great ones once you get the data. And there's another class of these use cases where, you know, how do you sort of replace the function of someone physically going somewhere? Uh, not only is it inefficient during good times, and we've seen that happen over the last 10 years with, um, you know, when was the last time you saw a meter man in your yard to check the utility meters? Um, that's pretty much almost gone at this point, you know, and it just because it just wasn't efficient and it wasn't always correct either. And now we hopefully get both. But now you're seeing that really it's the concept of remote uh, monitoring on steroids, you know, whether it's simple things like, do I need more ice in the ice uh, been at the convenience store to, is there enough oxygen in the hospital tank? Is there enough gas in the tank um, for manufacturing purposes? Um, you know, even on farms, some uh, consulting I've done, um, you know, is there enough fertilizer? Is there enough fuel? You know, one of the biggest fuel consumers in the country actually are farmers because they run their equipment nonstop in the process of farming. And all these things are very, very limited remote monitoring right now. And I think what we're seeing with the virus this year and unfortunately continuing into next year um, is forcing us to reevaluate the most basic of these processes of how do we do everything? And the goal is not to eliminate people. The goal is to keep people from getting sick um, because I don't know about you, but how, how excited are you about a repair guy coming in your house for anything these days, right? So the more we can figure out how to do remote, uh, the better, the more healthy we're going to be. And, uh, and and frankly, I think the situation we're in is just going to accelerate these use cases. Yeah, I think the use cases that work the best, it's not a question of, as you said, Alan, about replacing people uh, and doing effectively the same thing, but minus the person. Uh, I think the best use cases are may involve some of that, but also ones that allow you to do something that you simply couldn't do any other way. Um, you know, I mentioned the book Enchanted Objects by David Rose, and there's a, there's a great example he gives in that book where he talks about a manufacturer of hot tubs, and they, they were getting a significant problem with uh, a component, a heating coil uh, failing um, on their jacuzzis, and they actually uh, installed and designed their next generation with a sensor that was effectively an IoT component that basically called back to the mothership with a, a, a variety of different diagnostic information. And I think what happened in that particular instance, they analyzed the data and they actually realized when they looked geographically that a lot of these failures were happening in places with high humidity. And it actually meant the ultimate result of that was redesigning that particular component to actually work far better in much more humid environments than had been previously the case. So that's a great example of, yes, you don't have to send out a service engineer to continually check and maintain and uh, examine uh, various components, but also being able to proactively do things so that now they, they don't have to um, have all these failures and their product has actually improved as a direct result. Yeah, and, and to that point, um, that's the thing. When you start getting this data, it gives you insights you would never have 
And but for the but what IoT does is allow you to have that data for the first time. And, and in fact, I've been pulled into quite a few things this year with different safety related things for how do we get people back in office buildings? You know, New York City right now is a 10% occupancy on a good day. And we can't function as a society like this forever. And so there's inc some incredible no-touch solutions. How do you just smile and use your face uh, in a permission-based way to actually be your security pass to get in the buildings without touching anything? You know, how do you, even when you implement different sanitary systems in a building, actually know they're working uh, and doing what they're supposed to do? And in turn, it builds a confidence to allow people to get back to um, not just comfortable, but productive, you know, get back to a productive economy, which in the long term, we all desperately need. Yeah, it's a testament to, you know, the flexibility and agility of both IoT and AI, that they've been able to be rapidly adopted and, and deployed in, in, in ways that no one could have, you know, predicted, you know, 12, even as short as 12 months ago. Yeah. As we deal with more record unemployment, are these technologies being integrated by Fortune 500s in a way that's worker-centric? Yes or no, why or why not? I, I think very much so, I mean, but please go hard, go ahead, Carl. No, no, bombings, get you first. I, I think these technologies actually make workers safer. I mean, look at the questions that have come up about just fulfillment centers for all the online shopping we're doing and the health and safety when you have so many people working in close proximity so long. I mean, I've seen so many new technologies. Uh, you know, one company I advise in San Francisco, Nodal, that uh, has this incredible, um, you know, uh, application of this small tag you wear. There are a lot of these out there, but these guys are doing it with all kinds of AI algorithms, um, to your points, Carl, to really monitor by, main by maintaining full privacy, but monitor distancing between employees and other types of things. Um, so frankly, I actually think these technologies actually enable more work. It, they enable healthier work. And frankly, without them, we're just not going to be able to run a big part of our economy. It ultimately hurts everybody. So I think they're actually not just beneficial. I think they're absolutely mandatory going forward with the environment we're in. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think as in, as in common with you know other types of automation technology, it's not a question of we're going to take these jobs and replace and replace them with machines. Uh, that's you know far from far from true. What it what I think it does, and and there are it, it works in a couple of different ways. You firstly got the ability to uh, take a lot of the real drudgery. Uh, away from the user so they can actually focus on things that are actually more mentally stimulating and actually most importantly actually add more value mm -hmm. uh, i worked with a banking career a number of years ago and we implemented a system there and they were actually able to save about 25 million dollars uh through the time savings of people working on these you know very back office non-revenue generating functions and that was really impressive because their actual investment in terms of the actual outlier of the project was about five million so they got you know a significant return on that investment but what was even more impressive was because those people were freed up they were able to do revenue generating activities so as opposed to just the 25 million dollar saving they actually generated 125 million dollars annual increased revenue as a direct consequence because now they could apply those those employees to work that actually generated revenue for the company uh, and i think that that's something that you know obviously is, is important uh, i think also not just in terms of taking away the boring stuff off the plate of the of the employee there are also 
mechanisms by which AI can, and, and other technologies like RPA, which is robotic process automation, can be used in as a kind of smart assistant role in terms of doing things that are easier. You know, if, if I want to go and uh, order a pizza, I can do that through uh, using a, my Amazon Alexa. Uh, it doesn't mean that I still don't eat pizza. It just means that the, me the mechanism by which I order it is that much more convenient for me. And I think we're going to see the rise of more personal assistance to actually enable people to be more productive on an individual level, not just at a corporate level. Yeah. But right now they can't even tell what temperature the ovens are remotely. And so that itself is a big IoT use case of big restaurant chains, even making sure the foods cook correctly by instrumenting all this stuff. And in, instead of having to nag 16 year olds to empty the garbage, um, they can have them focus on uh, sanitation and cleanliness in the restaurant and a better, uh, a better experience for the customer.